0: All right, could you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Uh, we're in Jonah this morning, and specifically in Jonah chapter 1, and it's verses 1 through 3. And the word says this The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Please join me in prayer one more time. Dear God, I pray as Pastor Kyle comes up this morning to speak about um, your reluctant servant Jonah that you would open our hearts and minds help us to be focused god change us so that we can do more for you we love you it's in your name we pray amen
1: well last week we began um, after we concluded our advent service we began speaking from the book of jonah we opened up on um, the book of jonah and sort of as a way to kick off the new year, um, we wanted to present to you um, what is the heart of God and what is the mission of God. The heart of God, as seen in the reluctant servant uh, Jonah, um, was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, The the, God, the well, uh, to preach salvation uh, to these Evil people, the Ninevites, which we described, hopefully, uh, um, and gave you a little bit of a taste for just how sinister and wicked they were. That the gospel of Christ, the the saving message message of Jesus Christ, goes to exactly the people that we just wish it wouldn't go to. And God calls us to be his servants in delivering the message of salvation um, to those maybe who have hurt us, wounded us deeply. So we wanted to kick off this year with a reminder, a fresh reminder of what God has called us to do as a church. We started six years ago, you know, um, in January. And um, this month is actually our, our anniversary month. We started in January in East Providence. And six years later, my hope and prayer is that we still exist so that Christ is formed in each and every one of us, and so that those who do not yet know Christ will come to know him through the gospel that we proclaim with our lips and live with our lives. And friends, that's why we're here this morning, and that's what what I hope for us to be doing in 2021. And it's so good to have many of you back. I know that um, some of us were traveling, um, and some of us still are are quarantining because we were traveling, and uh, we we miss uh, our familiar faces. And of course, we know also, um, just to ignore that video, um, (laughs) this is where the sermon is headed. Um, So... What was I saying? Oh yeah, um, we, we, um, we miss, of course, the people that haven't been able to come back at all since COVID started. Um, we want to pr- remember, in particular, um, right now, um, just uh, the Hendricks family going through a very difficult time in their lives. Um, Patty Hendricks lost her mother, I mean her father, and her mother is very sick right now too. Um, just, just the timing of that is just so difficult for them. So would you just join me before we begin this new service, this new sermon um, this morning. Would you pr- let's pray together for the Henricks family. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to come to you and ask you, Lord, for your comfort and your help. God, we thank you that you hear us and that you listen to us. We thank you, Lord, that you are so gracious to us. God, give us faith. Give us courage. Give us joy. Let us be led by your spirit. And we ask you also, God, right now, that you would be with Patty and Bill. Bless Patty as she grieves, and her family, her sisters. I think she has a brother, too. And I just pray, Lord, that you would give them comfort. Um, supply their needs. Could just speak to Pat, Patty in this hard time. And I pray, Lord, that through these these um, difficult times of loss, that you would um, speak to her family, and that her family and friends would come to know Jesus Christ, those of them that don't know you yet. Yeah. Um, bless Bill, too, as he just tries to be a comfort um, to his family, and to his wife in particular. God, we thank you, Lord, that you've given us strength in your word. We pray that you would bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you were a whaler 150 years ago, which I'm guessing you weren't, <laughs> but if you were, you'd know, um, or, or you'd know what a Nantucket sleigh ride is. Maybe you've heard of this. A Nantucket sleigh ride is the dragging of a whaleboat by a harpooned whale. So 150 years ago, they didn't have rocket launchers like we have now. Um, I'm sure we wouldn't use that on a whale, but if we don't hunt whales anymore, that's illegal now, but they didn't have the technology that we have now. So how do you catch a whale? Well, this is what they would do. They would get in these little boats. Um, don't, don't play the video just yet. Um, they would get in these little vo- these little boats, and once this whale was harpooned, what would you do if you were a whale and you were you know feasting off the top surface waters or whatever taking a breath of fresh air you know get kind of tired there in the deep and then all of a sudden you're getting harpooned with all these lances well if you were a whale you would probably take off <laughs> um, and that's what exactly the a whale would do they would attempt to flee or dive deep to suck down the the boat with them um, but these poor fools from wherever they were from Portugal and you know just trying to make a living they would be dragged um, by this whale by these ropes attached to the boat to the whale um, and of course these boats would go along um, with it for the ride of their lives <laughs> and the term refers to the speed associated um, with riding like a horse-drawn sleigh so the, the Nantucket sleigh ride now this is a video, as you've seen a few times already, um, of an actual Nantucket sleigh ride. If you can fast forward a minute, because I, uh, I don't want this to take too long. Um, so get like a minute into the video, because there's a part that I want them to see. So here's this, this um, guy in the front thinking, what did I do to deserve this? Um, why am I in the front? Um, so he's holding onto the rope. And these, this is actual footage of an actual sleigh ride. You can actually see this at the New Bedford Whaling Museum in New Bedford, Mass. And um, they, they just had come out, I guess, apparently, with the invention to record. Um, this, so this was probably early 1900s where, when whaling was still legal. And this is, these guys are actually getting pulled by a whale, probably going about 25 miles an hour, attached to this beast. OK? You're going to see a point at which the whale has enough of them and decides to flip them over with his tail. Um, so it's gonna it's coming up pretty soon. How many people have actually been to the the Whaling Museum in New Bedford, Mass? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never been. I've been in for a second. Um, so you can tell uh, the quality of this video is really good. <laughs> but it's just amazing the, that people would actually do this, that they would actually attach themselves by a rope to a whale. Eventually, the whale would slow down, get tired, and that, that's when they would. Um, um, kill the whale and then harvest it for the various things they would use it for. So here we go. This is when they're going to get this. there's tail. He's like, Nope, no more of you. Goodbye. <laughs> get off of me. And that's it. That's an Nantucket sleigh ride. <clears throat> so, like I said, uh, it was extremely dangerous. Uh, for obvious reasons, the speed would vary depending on the species of the whale. Humpback ma- whales gave a faster ride; they were a bit quicker. The sperm whale caused the longest drag, the longest ride. They would they would reach speeds of 23 miles an hour. Uh, once the whale had exhausted its energy, the sailors pulled in the rope, killed the animal, rode it back to the whaling ship. Does it make sense? That's the idea. When I when I think about this, I can't help but consider the immense power of this great beast that these poor fools are attaching themselves to by a rope once that harpoon pierced the thick skin of that behemoth they were now under his control Right? they're at his mercy they go where he goes isn't that true they're not pulling him he's pulling them friends this is much like what it means to be a christian oh. to be in christ to be his by faith isn't doesn't just make us feel happy inside it doesn't just it isn't just about like maybe getting the stuff out of life that we want which is oftentimes why we might come to faith we're going through a problem we want god to fix it right No, friends, to be a Christian is to be united, one, with the Lord. One with the one who possesses all power, all knowledge, and all authority. And he often will take you places, unexpected, and places certainly that you never wanted to go to begin with. That's what it's like to be a Christian. And that's what it was like to be Jonah. And what did we see Jonah do as we read? We'll see that he fled. What's the book of Jonah about? I mean, really about? Certainly, <clears throat> we can learn things about the character of God from it. It teaches us doctrinal things. We learn what God is like and what he's not like. That he's sovereign and just and merciful. Right? We, can, we can even see that sort of built into the first few verses. God is angry at the sin of Nineveh, but he also loves them and wants them to be saved to, and sends Jonah. We're learning all these things about who God, that God is involved with his creation, that he's sovereign. We learn that he involves us providentially in the unfolding of his plans. Isn't that true? He sends Jonah. He doesn't send a bird. He doesn't send a tree. He sends Jonah. He uses us as people to accomplish his purpose. So all sorts of doctrinal principles that we can learn from the book of Jonah. But the chief purpose of this book is indoctrinal. But, but how about maybe it's missional? Because it, it, it contains the issuing of this important mission that God gives to Jonah, just like he gives to us. It instructs us as God's people to live our lives on mission, to seek out those people who are most criminal and expose them to the grace of God so that they, they too might be saved. But friends... The chief purpose of the book of Jonah is not missional either. Is it poetic? It's certainly beautiful. If you look at the structure of Jonah, you'll see all of the symmetry and beauty. If you observe even the prayer of Jonah, the prayer of repentance when he's in the belly of the fish deep in the water. It's a beautiful poetic piece that no doubt would compare to some of the, today's modern poets of <clears throat> modern and ancient poets that we so love and respect. But its chief purpose, friends, is not poetic. None of this will do. Because the book of Jonah... Now, this is really deep. Write this down. You ready? The book of Jonah was written by Jonah. Okay? You might forget that one, so write that one down. Not everyone agrees with this. As a matter of fact, one of the best commentaries the most highly suggested commentaries to read on the book of Jonah. It's from the, it's called the word biblical commentary series. This, this author thinks that it's possible that Jonah wrote the book, but doesn't think he did. And here's why. He says this quote, where else in the scriptures does an author of a narrative so thoroughly deprecate himself? (laughs) He says, you're not going to find an example of this in ancient literature Um, Anywhere And he even suggests that the Bible doesn't do this But I would argue that it certainly does Read the Gospels The Gospels were written by the people it's about And the same people that denied Christ Right? That left him Certainly the scriptures are used to Its authors deprecating themselves (laughs) So for me when I read this and many people agree with this the book of Jonah because it's by Jonah is an autobiography. You know what that is? Mm-hmm. It's about it's it's someone writing about their own life. The book of Jonah is an autobiography. It's not simply poetry or history or instruction about doctrine or mission. It contains all those things and we're going to receive a lot from them. But before any of that the book of Jonah is a confession. It is the confession of a man who tries to cut the rope from God. He was fastened to his good God. He was on a sleigh ride with his God. And he said, enough is enough. I'm done. So he gets out his saw and he aims to begin hacking through that which attached him to his God. It's the confession of a man who should have known to follow God. But didn't. Is anyone in here like that? <laughs> he should have known to follow God, but didn't. So this morning, I want to talk to you about Jonah's privilege. Why should have Jonah known? And then I want to, to highlight his response to God's word. His privilege and his response. Let's do this together. Why should Jonah have known better? Verse 1. chapter 1 tells us that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. You know, there's only one place in all the Bible that mentions Jonah, and it's in 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 through 27. That's not too typical. Very often, the prophets have a lot of mention of them in other places in Scripture, especially in the history books of the Old Testament. But Jonah is only mentioned very quickly once in 2 Kings chapter 14 verses 23 through 27 <clears throat> and it says this, King Jeroboam did evil in the eyes of the Lord he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel in accordance with the word of the Lord the God of Israel spoken through his servant Jonah son of Amittai the prophet from Gath Heifer okay So you say, okay, this doesn't really tell us a whole lot, big deal. It actually tells us a lot. This passage teaches us that Jonah was a known and trusted man of God. God's voice, in other words, when Jonah chapter 1 opens, this is not the first time that God has spoken to Jonah. Jonah had proven himself prior to be a prophet of God, to be one that would listen to God and speak for him and actually have the stuff happen that he said would happen. See, so God's voice didn't come out of nowhere to Jonah in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. He had heard it before, and he had obeyed it before, and he saw the, God, the power of God demonstrated in that obedience. And because of this, he had three privileges that we can observe. Jonah had the, the first privilege of prophetic service to God. He is called God's servant Jonah. Jonah in this king's passage, God's servant Jonah. So he had the privilege of prophetic servant service. A servant of God, it might not sound like much, God's servant Jonah, that is a reference to the prophetic office. A servant of God in the Old Testament referred to someone set apart whose life was actually ordained to speak for God. That was your job, it was your vocation. So he was a servant of God referring to someone set apart to meet with God and speak his word. It's a title given to the prophets. The Messiah in Isaiah 53 is given the same title. Jesus Christ would be this Messiah, of course. Jonah was among the few men that would actually hear the audible voice of God come from heaven speaking to him to let Israel know something of great importance. Oh, the great privilege like Moses, to hear the voice of God, to have his will spoken into your ears, to have the holy sound vibrate your eardrums, to hear the God, no mystery, to hear him speak. And when he spoke to Jonah, God had proven that he would do what he said he would do. That is the evidence, the clear testimony of this passage in 2 Kings. So Jonah was a man of unique privilege in his prophetic service but also he had a great privilege in his destiny Jonah had the privilege of destiny so in the setting of 2nd Kings if you read kind of around 2nd Kings chapter 14 the other the chapters that follow and the chapters before it you're going to notice that Jonah is living in a time in Israel of great evil none of the kings get it They're all worshiping idols. They're all doing these abominations. And all of these prophets have to continually call them to repentance or else God would judge them. So the setting of 2 Kings chapter 14 is where Jonah lives. Jonah lives in a time of great evil when the kings of Israel, called by God, did what was right in their own eyes and didn't follow the Lord. But he was a prophet. And like all the other prophets... He was told by God what he was for, what his life was for. He knew his purpose. He knew his destiny. It wasn't a mystery if he should be a plumber or a preacher. He wasn't left to sort of kind of figuring out and having the the body of Christ affirm it and all these kind of difficult things that we got to try to figure out before we get into the ministry like I did. I didn't have the audible voice of God say, Kyle, pastor, and Warren." No one told me that. I had to use wisdom. And it took years of sort of like identifying my gifts and knowing if it was the right thing in prayer and, and seeking God's will. Jonah, didn't ha- Jonah cut through all the red tape. <laughs> Jonah knew by the voice and command of God what he was for. It's like Esther. Understanding that she was brought to royal power for such a time as this. Esther knew what she was for. Jonah knew what he was for. It was made plain to them at the command of God. The call of God, friends, is a powerful thing. And I might might like to suggest to you all that if you're a Christian this morning, we all should know exactly what we're for. We all should know it. And I think many of us do. We all do know it. You see, we might not know specifically, should I go to Uganda or Africa or, or Rhode Island, but we all know that we're called to be holy. We're all, we all know that we're called to proclaim the gospel of grace to our neighbors and friends wherever we find ourselves. You see, God has told us clearly what we're for. You see, just like Noah, we have that same privilege of destiny. But, but, but Jonah had another privilege. He didn't just have the privilege of prophetic service or the, prophet, the, the, the um, privilege of destiny. Jonah also had the privilege of fellowship. You know, that a lot of times we think of prophets sort of coming out of nowhere, and sometimes they did. And what I mean by coming out of nowhere is, you know, you're just kind of walking along, hoeing your cornfield or whatever, and then all of a sudden, poof, God shows up and speaks to you. We see that happen sometimes. And, in, and sometimes the prophet's like, who is this and what's this voice and what's happening right now? But, but a lot of the times, that's not how it happened. Pro- prophets didn't always just come out of nowhere, tending their sheep one moment and then hearing the voice of God the next. In 2 Kings chapter 2, there are, there's a reference to the sons of the prophets. Elisha, for example, was groomed, discipled by Elijah. Elisha didn't just come out of nowhere. He was taught by Elijah. He was shown by example, the power of God, the, the importance of listening to God's voice and actually doing what he says. You know that Jonah was likely, and I was actually surprised by this, but a lot of the resources I read agree, that Jonah was likely a disciple around the time of Elisha, and maybe even a disciple of Elisha. Jewish legend actually claims that Jonah was the boy that Elisha raised from the dead. Do you know that? Now that's kind of a stretch, it's just a legend, but it is highly likely that he knew the fellowship of prophets. He knew godly men, in other words. These men poured into his life, loved him, showed him the word of God, modeled it by their living, and he saw the power of God's word in play. So when the word of the Lord came to Jonah, he should have known what to do with it. You see, that's the point that I'm trying to make here. When the word of the Lord came to Jonah, he should have listened. He should have known. Yet he writes a whole book about how he didn't. He confesses to the whole world, by the way, his remarkable disobedience. And friends, disobedience is all the more sharp, when we do it knowingly, right? What's lesson number one for us? Listen to these words from the author Sinclair Ferguson. What a powerful message. He says, No past privilege, nor all past privileges together, no past obedience, nor faithfulness in service can ever substitute the present obedience to the word of God. What matters now is, is our present obedience, not our past obedience. And so many leaders, so many Christian leaders get into trouble because they look backwards and think, wow, hasn't God done great things for me and through me? I guess now I won't listen anymore and think that somehow I'm off the hook. Oh, how many of us have fallen and will fall, fall because of this snare, this trap? Christian friend, do you know? What you are for? Are you living only with the memories of a past fellowship with God? Oh, strive for a present fellowship. Taste his mercy today that's available to you. Bring that mask down and enjoy it. What did Jonah do? What was his response? Instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah boards a ship to go to Tarshish. Now, if, if it were just this, you might think maybe he's on his way, okay? But obviously, it's, he's not. <clears throat> it says, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. It's kind of hard to say that, isn't it? <clears throat> so he paid, he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. 2 Kings chapter 14, the passage we read earlier, tells us that Jonah was from a place called gath hepher Okay, now we can put, the, um, put this up on the screen. It's a little fuzzy. It's going to be hard for you to see it, but I'll try to help you out, okay? So yeah, you can see it. Put your glasses on. <clears throat> Gath-Hefer is right here where this one is. See it? That's, it's fuzzy, but that's Gath-Hefer. This is Joppa right there. Bible says, okay, God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. So Jonah's where number one is. So he says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to arise, and he flees the presence of the Lord, right? So he goes down to Joppa, and he boards a ship. <coughs> Let me show that next one, the next picture. <coughs> it says, the Bible says he goes to Tarshish. And then we're like, okay, where, this is getting confusing now. Where was Jonah to begin with? <coughs> so this is Tarshish, right? Jonah was here. You know where Nineveh was? (laughs) So he says, so God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. So Jonah says, no, gets on a boat and he goes 2,200 miles in the opposite direction. So just seeing that should be just a clear image of what Jonah was doing. You know, oftentimes in the ancient world, you know, that they saw that. This is the Mediterranean Sea. They saw this. They called it the Great Sea. Um, they, almost, they almost pictured it as like the whole earth. So if you were to go from one end to the other, it was like you were traveling from one end of the earth to the other. It was sort of like an idiom. So literally, in the mind of Jonah, he was saying, I am going to flee to the other side of the planet from God. 2,200 miles in the opposite direction, three times the distance than Nineveh, God told Jonah, arise, go, and call the Ninevites to repentance. And our verse says that he rose, fled, and paid. How could this man of God do this? He should have known not to. Have you ever asked the question about a man or a woman of God who has fallen? How could they do this? What's going on? The history of the Christian church seems to include like this great litany of mighty men and women that we thought got it but didn't. Doing appalling things. <clears throat> There's this um, confession called the Westminster Confession of Faith, it's one of the most famous and eloquent. Confessions in church history. And it's, it's beautiful, if you've ever read it. It's long, it's articulate, it's amazing. It's one of the best confessions ever written by the Christian church. One of the authors of the Westminster Confession of Faith turned from his faith. Listen to what he did. He turned from the Christian faith after helping pen the Westminster Confession of Faith. He purchased a prison, locked up men and women that confessed the same truths that he wrote. Bought a prison and decided, I am going to imprison and torture men and women of God that believe and confess the very words that I wrote. How does this happen? Friends, Jonah isn't alone in the belly of that great fish, is he? Oh, we're all there with him, all of us. And before we look down our long, hairy noses at people for falling from grace, can we remember that we're in the belly of that fish with them, all of us? How often have we known what we're for as Christians, and we decide, nope, not going to do it. We turn and we head to Tarshish. We do exactly what God has told us not to, So Jonah arose. He was intentional and determined in his disobedience to God. So we here read his confession. When the word of the Lord came to Jonah, he was faced with a war of wills. His will against God's. Jonah's will for Nineveh was not God's will for Nineveh. God's will for Nineveh was not Jonah's will. And when God's will bumped up against his, Jonah yelped and he left. Later, we even see Jonah comes to his senses and says, Okay, I'm going to go preach. Spoiler alert. I'm going to go preach. I'm going to go to Nineveh and preach against um, their sin and offer them repentance and salvation. What does God actually do? Well, shockingly, the Ninevites repent and God spares them and saves them. And you know what Jonah does? He starts grumping about it. Mr. Grumpfish. I knew this would happen. This is why I took off to Tarshish. This is my own words, but this is basically what it says. I knew this would happen, God. This is why I wanted to go to Tarshish, because I knew that you would be gracious to them. I knew that you're slow to anger and that you abound in loving kindness. As if he's insulting God for this. I knew I knew how good you were and loving you were. How awful of it is that you are like this. This is what was happening in his mind. His will was different from God's will, so he defiantly arose. Oh friends, all of us as Christians, all of us, at some point, our will is going to bump up against God's. His is going to be different. What will we do? Jonah fled. <clears throat> what did he flee from? The evil Ninevites? Oh, they flayed people alive. Weren't they scary? Ooh. Right? That's how, that's, sometimes that's how we preach this. Like, Jonah was just afraid to get his head cut off. And certainly that's got to be a part of it, right? But there's, there's, there's so much more going on here that you can't miss. Because it doesn't say he fled from the Ninevites. It says that he fled from the presence of the Lord. Jonah wasn't escaping a tough assignment. This was a relational battle with God. This was a spiritual crisis. God didn't make sense to him anymore. So he says, I'm not fleeing the Ninevites. I'm fleeing God. Because God just doesn't, he is not what I thought he was. And friends, something is going to happen in your life where that's going to be your thought process. I didn't think God was like this. And it's so confusing and difficult for me to understand that I just can't follow him anymore. So he was, this was not just him escaping a tough assignment. This wasn't based on fear of a cruel people. He was thinking God was unfair and unjust. He didn't understand God, so he was done with God. The demand of God, it just seemed so outrageous to him. He had simply had enough. God didn't make sense anymore to him. And friends, could I just clue you in on something? If God always makes sense to you, you probably don't have God. If there is a God and you're not him, chances are he's not going to always make sense to you. He's got to contradict you. He's got to offend you at times because you, you don't get it. You're not him. God shouldn't always make sense to us. Because if he did, we wouldn't have a real God. We would have us. We would be God. So friends, sin is not simply disobedience. I don't feel like doing that. Sin is divorce. Sin is saying, I don't want God. We flee from him because we don't want him. And that's exactly what we see happening at the very end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 9. And in those days it says people will seek death and won't find it and they will not repent of the work of their hands. They would rather die than repent. Give me death before you give me God because they've forgotten the very important principle of life that there is pleasure at his right hand forevermore. But they say flee, run, run. Give me death before you give me God. Run away from the one who is, who was, and is to come. They forget, too, that it's simply not possible to flee from the presence of God. You know what it says in the book of Psalm, chapter 139? If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand finds me. Even, in the, even the darkness is not dark to you. Jonah knew that. Jonah knew he was a prophet of God. He knew the Psalms. He knew he couldn't escape from the presence of God. He was rather trying to cut the rope. He didn't want to be attached to God anymore. That which was forcing him, joining him to the force that he couldn't control. Because God had become someone he didn't understand anymore. He seemed scary. And all of a sudden, he wanted out. So consequently, Jonah paid. Right? He arose, he fled, and he paid. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it. Friends, whenever we flee from God, there is always a price to pay. There's a price to pay. And it's not because God is cruel. It's not because God is, is, hates you. It's actually the opposite. It's because he loves you. We think it's better to be unhooked from the great I am. But we find ourselves hooking ourselves, harpooning to something different no longer to God, but to something else. We bind ourselves to another master, a cruel force that can never satisfy us and that is always unforgiving. Mm -hmm. You see, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we try to escape from God and follow his creation, we realize the the crushing burden of that weight. Jonah uh, aimed to escape the presence of God So he yoked himself to a difficult and heavy burden. A life lived outside of union with God. Now I might be making too much of the word paid here. He just paid a fare to go on a boat. But you need to understand the irony. That boat to Jonah was symbolizing his freedom. It became his savior, his way of escape. That was what the boat was. I can sort of imagine Jonah kind of sauntering up to this captain with a sigh of relief, hearing the, the, just the clinking coins hit the ground. It sounded pop, perhaps, like freedom to him when it hit that captain's jar. But he wasn't buying a ticket to freedom. He was buying a ticket to darkness. That boat became the instrument of God's discipline. The very boat that in his mind would set him free was the instrument of God's discipline. Friends, here's another principle, another lesson. What we leave God for will often be the instrument he uses to discipline us. So for example, you know God, I don't really want your will and purpose, I want this girl. Oftentimes, it becomes that very girl that we thought would save us from what was our problem that God uses to break our hearts. It swallows us whole and it takes us to the darkest depths of despair. So that what we leave God for often is the instrument of His discipline to bring us back. When we flee from God's presence, we pay. And it's, it's precisely because God loves us that we pay. You say, oh, God sounds kind of harsh and cruel and difficult. But he loves us, friend. It's only when we know the pain of his absence that our hearts begin to repent and our tongues confess. Like Moses said, if you're not with us, don't send us anywhere. I'd rather be in the, the heart of the sea with you than than a land flowing with milk and honey without you. No earthly treasure, no outcome I desire, no corner of this planet is more satisfying if you are not with us. So friends, Jonah had a privilege. He should have known the voice of God is sweet like honey, yet he arose, fled, and paid. Friends, in weeks to come, we are going to see the marvelous mercy of God the grace of God that pursued him and brought him back to his goodwill and friends I want us to tonight consider this morning consider where we're at with our relationship with the Lord like God spoke to Jonah he speaks to you and he speaks to me and we can listen we can arise go and call and be with God and part of him and join to him or we can rise flee and pay So what do we say about that? If you're a Christian, you know what you're for. You know his voice. Oh, the privilege we have to have heard the gospel call of Jesus Christ, to know that he's set us apart for his service, to be an encouragement to his body, to know him in his word, to proclaim the sweet gospel to those lost around us, yet to not do it is to be in the belly of a fish. It is to know the pain of being outside of his will for our lives. Oh, the mercy that he gives us, though, when each and every one of us find ourselves there, the mercy that he gives for us to to start our day as a new day and come back to him with that same sense of destiny, purpose, and call. That is no life apart from God is no life at all. Friends, I wonder if, if I need to make a confession. If you do. our church does have we been silent when God has told us to speak oh God is so good and forgiving and I trust that in 2021 we can arise and we can go and we can call we can call each other out the, the word of God we can call those lost around us the word of God God has given us that great destiny, that great privilege to be his people, to be his hand in this world, and I hope that you will. Do you know what you're for? Have you heard his voice? Do you know your destiny? I hope that we can together proclaim the excellent riches and mercy of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And I hope that we can follow each other's lead to that end. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, um, God, we look to the better Jonah. To the one that did everything that Jonah was supposed to do. Your word says in Matthew chapter 12, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. God, you are the greater Jonah. You went into the belly of death for three days and rose and emerged to life. You took on flesh, and you came to this earth, to this Nineveh, and proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom the first time. You were in all points tested, yet without sin. So God, when we all realize that we are, like Jonah, disobedient, help us to look to Christ, who was always obedient. And him is our strength and mercy and forgiveness, so that we can rise up tomorrow, today, a new day. Because you're everything that we're supposed to be. You've conquered in all the ways we should have, but didn't by grace we've been saved through faith. So God, I pray, Lord, help us to look to the one who is greater than Jonah, Jesus Christ. And God, I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that's online or that is in this room that does not know you yet, I pray, Lord, like those Ninevites who heard the preaching of Jonah, today they're hearing the preaching of Christ through his word, the greater Jonah. Friends, he is telling you to repent of your sin, that you've sinned against God and worshiped everything but Him and loved His creation more than Him. And because of that, you're separated from Him. And the wages of that sin is death. That is an eternal separation from God. And the word of Christ comes to you to trust in Him, friend. To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that He died on a cross for your sin. That the anger and just justice of God was poured out in the death of Jesus for anyone who would believe in him, that that justice would be put on him instead of you. What an exchange. Come to him by faith, friends. Trust in him. God, I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone that is coming to faith in Jesus Christ for the first time this morning, that they would have the boldness, the courage to come let me know To come let someone know. To begin following you. God, we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful opportunity to not live in despair, but to trust in the one who is always victorious. That today we can emerge out of the grave with Christ to new life. And to follow you again. How we love you. Bless the rest of our time together.